Question 27 of Summa Theologica Pars Prima Trinity and Creation. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This recording is by Jim Ruddy. Summa Theologica Pars Prima Trinity and Creation by St. Thomas Aquinas, translated by the Fathers of the English Dominican Province. Question 27. The Procession of the Divine Persons. Having considered what belongs to the unity of the divine essence, it remains to treat of what belongs to the trinity of the persons in God. And because the divine persons are distinguished from each other according to the relations of origin, the order of the doctrine leads us to consider firstly the question of origin or procession, secondly the relations of origin, thirdly the persons. Concerning procession there are five points of inquiry. Whether there is procession in God, whether any procession in God can be called generation, whether there can be any other procession in God besides generation, whether that other procession can be called generation, and whether there are more than two processions in God. First article, whether there is procession in God. Objection 1 it would seem that there cannot be any procession in God. For procession signifies outward movement. But in God there is nothing mobile, nor anything extraneous. Therefore neither is there procession in God. Objection 2. Further, everything which proceeds differs from that whence it proceeds. But in God there is no diversity, but supreme simplicity. Therefore in God there is no procession. Objection 3. Further, to proceed from another seems to be against the nature of the first principle. But God is the first principle, as shown above. Therefore, in God there is no procession. On the contrary, our Lord says, From God I proceeded. I answer that divine scripture uses, in relation to God, names which signify procession. This procession has been differently understood. Some have understood it in the sense of an effect proceeding from its cause. So Arius took it, saying that the Son proceeds from the Father as his primary creature, and that the Holy Ghost proceeds from the Father and the Son as the creature of both. In this sense, neither the Son nor the Holy Ghost would be true God, and this is contrary to what is said of the Son, that we may be in his true Son. This is true God. Of the Holy Ghost it is also said, Know you not that your members are the temple of the Holy Ghost? Now to have a temple is God's prerogative. Others take this procession to mean the cause proceeding to the effect as moving it or impressing its own likeness on it, in which sense it was understood by Sibelius, who said that 
God the Father is called Son in assuming flesh from the Virgin, and that the Father also is called Holy Ghost in sanctifying the rational creature and moving it to life. The words of the Lord contradict such a meaning when he speaks of himself. The Son cannot of himself do anything. While many other passages show the same, whereby we know that the Father is not the Son, careful examination shows that both of these opinions take procession as meaning an outward act. Hence, neither of them affirms procession as existing in God himself. Whereas, since procession always supposes action, and as there is an outward procession corresponding to the act tending to external matter, so there must be an inward procession corresponding to the act remaining within the agent. This applies most conspicuously to the intellect, the action of which remains in the intelligent agent. For whenever we understand, by the very fact of understanding, there proceeds something within us which is a conception of the object understood, a conception issuing from our intellectual power and proceeding from our knowledge of that object. This conception is signified by the spoken word, and it is called the word of the heart, signified by the word of the voice. As God is above all things, we should understand what is said of God, not according to the mode of the lowest creatures, namely bodies, but from the similitude of the highest creatures, the intellectual substances. While even the similitudes derived from these fall short in the representation of divine objects, procession, therefore, is not to be understood from what it is in body, either according to local movement or by way of a cause proceeding forth to its exterior effect, as, for instance, like heat from the agent to the thing made hot. Rather, it is to be understood by way of an intelligible emanation, for example, of the intelligible word which proceeds from the speaker, yet remains in him. In that sense, the Catholic faith understands procession as existing in God. Reply to Objection 1. This objection comes from the idea of procession in the sense of local motion, or of an action tending to external matter, or to an exterior effect, which kind of procession does not exist in God, as we have explained. Reply to Objection 2. Whatever proceeds by way of outward procession is necessarily distinct from the source whence it proceeds, whereas whatever proceeds within by an intelligible procession is not necessarily distinct. Indeed, the more perfectly it proceeds, the more closely is it one with the source whence it proceeds. For it is clear that the more a thing is understood, the more closely is the intellectual conception joined and united to the intelligent agent, since the intellect, by the very act of understanding, is made one with the object understood. Thus, as the divine intelligence is the very supreme perfection of God, 
the divine word is of necessity perfectly one with the source whence he proceeds without any kind of diversity reply to objection three to proceed from a principle so as to be something outside and distinct from that principle is irreconcilable with the idea of a first principle whereas an intimate and uniform procession by way of an intelligible act is included in the idea of a first principle for when we call the builder the principle of the house in the idea of such a principle is included that of his art and it would be included in the idea of the first principle were the builder the first principle of the house god who is the first principle of all things may be compared to things created as the architect is to things designed second article whether any procession in god can be called generation objection one it would seem that no procession in god can be called generation for generation is change from non-existence to existence and is opposed to corruption while matter is the subject of both nothing of all this belongs to god therefore generation cannot exist in god objection to further procession exists in god according to an intelligible mode as explained above but such a process is not called generation in us therefore neither is it to be so called in god objection three further anything that is generated derives existence from its generator therefore such existence is a derived existence but no derived existence can be a self-subsistence therefore since the divine existence is self-subsisting it follows that no generated existence can be the, div the divine existence therefore there is no generation in god on the contrary it is said this day have i begotten thee i answer that the procession of the word in god is called generation in proof whereof we must observe that generation has a twofold meaning one common to everything subject to generation and corruption in which sense generation is nothing but change from non-existence to existence in another sense it is proper and belongs to living things in which sense it signifies the origin of a living being from a conjoined living principle and this is properly called birth not everything of that kind however is called begotten but strictly speaking only what proceeds by way of similitude hence a hair has not the aspect of generation and sonship but only that has which proceeds by way of a similitude nor will any likeness suffice for a worm which is generated from animals has not the aspect of generation and sonship although it has a generic similitude for this kind of generation requires that there should be a procession by way of similitude in the same specific nature as a man proceeds from a man and a horse from a horse 
so in living things which proceed from potential to actual life such as men and animals generation includes both these kinds of generation but if there is a being whose life does not proceed from potentiality to act procession if found in such a being excludes entirely the first kind of generation whereas it may have that kind of generation which belongs to living things so in this manner the procession of the word in god is generation for he proceeds by way of intelligible action which is a vital operation from a conjoined principle as above described by way of similitude inasmuch as the concept of the intellect is a likeness of the object conceived and exists in the same nature because in god the act of understanding and his existence are the same as shown above hence the procession of the word in god is called generation and the word himself proceeding is called the son reply to objection one this objection is based on the idea of generation in the first sense importing the issuing forth from potentiality to act in which sense it is not found in god reply to objection two the act of human understanding in ourselves is not the substance itself of the intellect hence the word which proceeds within us by intelligible operation is not of the same nature as the source whence it proceeds so the idea of generation cannot be properly and fully applied to it but the divine act of intelligence is the very substance itself of the one who understands the word proceeding therefore proceeds as subsisting in the same nature and so is properly called begotten and son and scripture employs terms which denote generation of living things in order to signify the procession of the divine wisdom namely conception and birth as is declared in the person of the divine wisdom the depths were not as yet and i was already conceived before the hills i was brought forth in our way of understanding we use the word conception in order to signify that in the word of our intellect is found the likeness of the thing understood although there be no identity of nature reply to objection three not everything derived from another has existence in another subject otherwise we could not say that the whole substance of created being comes from god since there is no subject that could receive the whole substance so then what is generated in god receives its existence from the generator not as though that existence were received into matter or into a subject which would conflict with the divine self-subsistence but when we speak of his existence as received we mean that he who proceeds receives divine existence from another not however as if he were other from the divine nature for in the perfection itself of the divine existence are contained both the word intelligibly proceeding and the principle of the word with whatever belongs to his perfection third article 
whether any other procession exists in God besides that of the Word. Objection 1. It would seem that no other procession exists in God beside the generation of the Word, because for whatever reason we admit another procession, we should be led to admit yet another, and so on to infinitude, which cannot be. Therefore we must stop at the first and hold that there exists only one procession in God. Objection 2. Further, every nature possesses but one mode of self-communication, because operations derive unity and diversity from their terms. But procession in God is only by way of communication of the divine nature. Therefore, as there is only one divine nature, it follows that only one procession exists in God. Objection 3. Further, if any other procession but the intelligible procession of the word existed in God, it could only be the procession of love, which is by the operation of the will. But such a procession is identified with the intelligible procession of the intellect, inasmuch as the will in God is the same as his intellect. Therefore in God there is no other procession but the procession of the word. On the contrary, the Holy Ghost proceeds from the Father. And he is distinct from the Son, according to the words, I will ask my Father, and he will give you another paraclete. Therefore, in God another procession exists besides the procession of the Word. I answer that there are two processions in God, the procession of the Word and another. In evidence whereof we must observe that procession exists in God only according to an action which does not tend to anything external, but remains in the agent itself. Such an action in an intellectual nature is that of the intellect and of the will. The procession of the word is by way of an intelligible operation. The operation of the will within ourselves involves also another procession, that of love whereby the object loved is in the lover, as by the conception of the word the object spoken of or understood is in the intelligent agent. Hence, besides the procession of the word in God, there exists in him another procession called the procession of love. Reply to Objection 1. There is no need to go on to infinitude in the divine processions, for the procession which is accomplished within the agent in an intellectual nature terminates in the procession of the will. Reply to Objection 2. All that exists in God is God, whereas the same does not apply to others. Therefore, the divine nature is communicated by every procession which is not outward, and this does not apply to other natures. Reply to Objection 3. Though will and intellect are not diverse in God, nevertheless the nature of will and intellect requires the processions belonging to each of them to exist in a certain order. For the procession of love occurs in due order as regards the procession of the word, since nothing can be loved by the will unless it is conceived in the intellect. 
so as there exists a certain order of the word to the principle whence he proceeds, although in God the substance of the intellect and its concept are the same. So, although in God the will and the intellect are the same, still, inasmuch as love requires by its very nature that it proceed only from the concept of the intellect, there is a distinction of order between the procession of love and the procession of the word in God. Fourth article, whether the procession of love in God is generation. Objection 1. It would seem that the procession of love in God is generation. For what proceeds by way of likeness of nature among living things is said to be generated and born. But what proceeds in God by way of love proceeds in the likeness of nature. Otherwise it would be extraneous to the divine nature and would be an external procession. Therefore what proceeds in God by way of love proceeds as generated and born. Objection to further, as similitude is of the nature of the word, so does it belong to love. Hence it is said that every beast loves its like. Therefore, if the word is begotten and born by way of likeness, it seems becoming that love should proceed by way of generation. Objection 3. Further, what is not in any species is not in the genus. So, if there is a procession of love in God, there ought to be some special name beside this common name of procession. But no other name is applicable but generation. Therefore, the procession of love in God is generation. On the contrary, were this true, it would follow that the Holy Ghost, who proceeds as love, would proceed as begotten, which is against the statement of Athanasius, the Holy Ghost is from the Father and the Son, not made nor begotten, but proceeding. I answer that the procession of love in God ought not to be called generation. In evidence whereof we must consider that the intellect and the will differ in this respect, that the intellect is made actual by the object understood residing according to its own likeness in the intellect. Whereas the will is made actual, not by any similitude of the object willed within it, but by its having a certain inclination to the thing willed. Thus the procession of the intellect is by way of similitude and is called generation, because every generator begets its own like whereas the procession of the will is not by way of similitude, but rather by way of impulse and movement toward an object. So what proceeds in God by way of love does not proceed as begotten or as son, but proceeds rather as spirit, which name expresses a certain vital movement and impulse, accordingly as anyone is described as moved or impelled by love to perform an action. Reply to Objection 1. All that exists in God is one with the divine nature. Hence the proper notion of this or that procession by which one procession is distinguished from another cannot be on the part of this unity, 
but the proper notion of this or that procession must be taken from the order of one procession to another which order is derived from the nature of the will and intellect hence each procession in god takes its name from the proper notion of will and intellect the name being imposed to signify what its nature really is and so it is that the person proceeding as love receives the divine nature but is not said to be born reply to objection two likeness belongs in a different way to the word and to love it belongs to the word as being the likeness of the object understood as the thing generated is the likeness of the generator but it belongs to love not as though love itself were a likeness but because likeness is the principle of loving thus it does not follow that love is begotten but that the one begotten is the principle of love reply to objection three we can name god only from creatures as in creatures generation is the only principle of communication of nature procession in god has no proper or special name except that of generation hence the procession which is not generation has remained without a special name but it can be called spiration as it is the procession of the spirit fifth article whether there are more than two processions in god objection one it would seem that there are more than two processions in god as knowledge and will are attributed to god so is power therefore if two processions exist in god of intellect and will it seems that there must also be a third procession of power objection two further goodness seems to be the greatest principle of procession since goodness is diffusive of itself therefore there must be a procession of goodness in god and objection three further in god there is greater power of fecundity than in us but in us there is not only one procession of the word but there are many for in us from one word proceeds another and also from one love proceeds another therefore in god there are more than two processions on the contrary in god there are not more than two who proceed the son and the holy ghost therefore there are in him but two processions i answer that the divine processions can be derived only from the actions which remain within the agent in a nature which is intellectual and in the divine nature these actions are two the acts of intelligence and of will the act of sensation which also appears to be an operation within the agent takes place outside the intellectual nature nor can it be reckoned as wholly removed from the sphere of external actions for the act of sensation is perfected by the action of the sensible object upon sense it follows that no other procession is possible in god but the procession of the word and of love reply to objection one power is the principle whereby one thing acts on another hence it is that external action points to power thus the divine power does not imply the procession of a divine person but is indicated by the procession therefrom of creatures reply to objection two 
as Boethius says, goodness belongs to the essence and not to the operation, unless considered as the object of the will. Thus, as the divine processions must be denominated from certain actions, no other processions can be understood in God according to goodness and the like attributes, except those of the word and of love, according as God understands and loves his own essence, truth, and goodness. Reply to Objection 3. As explained above, God understands all things by one simple act, and by one act also he wills all things. Hence there cannot exist in him a procession of word from word, nor of love from love. For there is in him only one perfect word and one perfect love, thereby being manifested his perfect fecundity. The end of question 27. Question 28 of Summa Theologica, Pars Prima, Trinity and Creation. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This recording is by Jim Ruddy. Summa Theologica, Pars Prima, Trinity and Creation by St. Thomas Aquinas. Translated by the Fathers of the English Dominican Province. Question 28. The Divine Relations. The divine relations are next to be considered in four points of inquiry, whether there are real relations in God, whether those relations are the divine essence itself or are extrinsic to it, whether in God there can be several relations distinct from each other, and the number of these relations. First article, whether there are real relations in God. Objection 1. It would seem that there are no real relations in God. For Boethius says all possible predicaments used as regards the Godhead refer to the substance, for nothing can be predicated relatively. But whatever really exists in God can be predicated of Him. Therefore, no real relation exists in God. Objection 2. Further, Boethius says, Relation in the Trinity of the Father to the Son and of both to the Holy Ghost is the relation of the same to the same. But a relation of this kind is only a logical one. For every real relation requires and implies in reality two terms. Therefore the divine relations are not real relations, but are formed only by the mind. Objection 3. Further, the relation of paternity is the relation of a principle. But to say that God is the principle of creatures does not import any real relation, but only a logical one. Therefore, Paternity in God is not a real relation, while the same applies for the same reason to the other relations in God. Objection 4. Further, the divine generation proceeds by way of an intelligible word, but the relations following upon the operation of the intellect are logical relations. 
Therefore, paternity and filiation in God, consequent upon generation, are only logical relations. On the contrary, the Father is denominated only from paternity, and the Son only from filiation. Therefore, if no real paternity or filiation existed in God, it would follow that God is not really Father or Son, but only in our manner of understanding, and this is the Sabellian heresy. I answer that relations exist in God really. In proof whereof we may consider that in relations alone is found something which is only in the apprehension and not in reality. This is not found in any other genus. For as much as other genera as quantity and quality in their strict and proper meaning signify something inherent in a subject, but relation in its own proper meaning signifies only what refers to another. Such regard to another exists sometimes in the nature of things, as in those things which by their own very nature are ordered to each other and have a mutual inclination, and such relations are necessarily real relations, as in a heavy body is found an inclination and order to the center. And hence there exists in the heavy body a certain respect and regard to the center, and the same applies to other things. Sometimes, however, this regard to another, signified by relation, is to be found only in the apprehension of reason, comparing one thing to another, and this is a logical relation only, as, for instance, when reason compares man to animal as species to the genus. But when something proceeds from a principle of the same nature, then both the one proceeding and the source of the procession agree in the same order, and then they have real relations to each other. Therefore, as the divine processions are in the identity of the same nature, as explained above, these relations, according to the divine processions, are necessarily real relations. Reply to Objection 1. Relationship is not predicated of God according to its proper and formal meaning, that is to say, in so far as its proper meaning denotes comparison to that in which relation is inherent, but only as denoting regard to another. Nevertheless, Boethius did not wish to exclude relation in God, but he wished to show that it was not to be predicated of him as regards the mode of inherence in himself in the strict meaning of relation, but rather by way of relation to another. Reply to Objection 2. The relation signified by the term the same is a logical relation only, if in regard to absolutely the same thing because such a relation can exist only in a certain order observed by reason as regards the order of anything to itself according to some two aspects thereof. The case is otherwise, however, when things are called the same not numerically, but generically or specifically. Thus Boethius likens the divine relations to a relation of identity 
not in every respect, but only as regards the fact that the substance is not diversified by these relations, as neither is it by relation of identity. Reply to Objection 3. As the creature proceeds from God in diversity of nature, God is outside the order of the whole creation, nor does any relation to the creature arise from his nature. For he does not produce the creature by necessity of his nature, but by his intellect and will, as is explained above. Therefore there is no real relation in God to the creature, whereas in creatures there is a real relation to God, because creatures are contained under the divine order, and their very nature entails dependence on God. On the other hand, the divine processions are in one and the same nature, hence no parallel exists. Reply to Objection 4. Relations which result from the mental operation alone in the objects understood are logical relations only inasmuch as reason observes them as existing between two objects perceived by the mind those relations however which follow the operation of the intellect and which exist between the word intellectually proceeding and the source whence it proceeds are not logical relations only but are real relations inasmuch as the intellect and the reason are real things and are really related to that which proceeds from them intelligibly as a corporeal thing is related to that which proceeds from it corporeally thus paternity and filiation are real relations in god second article whether relation in god is the same as his essence objection one it would seem that the divine relation is not the same as the divine essence for augustine says that not all that is said of god is said of his substance for we say some things relatively as father in respect of the son but such things do not refer to the substance therefore the relation is not the divine essence objection to further augustine says every relative expression is something besides the relation expressed as master is a man and slave is a man therefore if relations exist in god there must be something else besides relations in god this can only be his essence therefore essence differs from relation objection three further the essence of relation is the being referred to another as the philosopher says so if relation is the divine essence it follows that the divine essence is essentially itself a relation to something else whereas this is repugnant to the perfection of the divine essence which is supremely absolute and self-subsisting therefore relation is not the divine essence on the contrary everything which is not the divine essence is a creature but relation really belongs to god and if it is not the divine essence it is a creature and it cannot claim the adoration of latria contrary to what is sung in the preface let us adore the distinction of the persons and the equality of their majesty i answer that it is reported that gilbert de la Porre, 
erred on this point, but revoked his error later at the Council of Rheims. For he said that the divine relations are assistant or externally affixed. To perceive the error here expressed, we must consider that in each of the nine genera of accidents, there are two points for remark. One is the nature belonging to each one of them considered as an accident, which commonly applies to each of them as inherent in a subject, for the essence of an accident is to inhere. The other point of remark is the proper nature of each one of these genera. In the genera, apart from that of relation, as in quantity and quality, even the true idea of the genus itself is derived from a respect to the subject, for quantity is called the measure of substance, and quality is the disposition of substance. But the true idea of relation is not taken from its respect to that in which it is, but from its respect to something outside. So if we consider even in creatures, relations, formally as such, in that aspect they are said to be assistants and not intrinsically affixed. For in this way they signify a respect which affects a thing related and tends from that thing to something else. Whereas if relation is considered as an accident, it inheres in a subject and has an accidental existence in it. Gilbert de la Porre considered relation in the former mode only. Now whatever has an accidental existence in creatures, when considered as transferred to God, has a substantial existence. For there is no accident in God, since all in Him is His essence. So in so far as relation has an accidental existence in creatures, relation really existing in God has the existence of the divine essence in no way distinct therefrom. But in so far as relation implies respect to something else, no respect to the essence is signified, but rather to its opposite term. Thus it is manifest that relation really existing in God is really the same as his essence and only differs in its mode of intelligibility, as in relation is meant that regard to its opposite which is not expressed in the name of essence. Thus it is clear that in God relation and essence do not differ from each other, but are one and the same. Reply to Objection 1 These words of Augustine do not imply that paternity or any other relation which is in God is not in its very being the same as the divine essence, but that it is not predicated under the mode of substance as existing in him to whom it is applied, but as a relation. So there are said to be two predicaments only in God, since other predicaments import habitude to that of which they are spoken, both in their generic and in their specific nature, but nothing that exists in God can have any relation to that wherein it exists or of whom it is spoken except the relation of identity, and this by reason of God's supreme simplicity. Reply to Objection 2 As the relation which exists in creatures involves not only a regard to another, but also something absolute, 
so the same applies to God, yet not in the same way. What is contained in the creature above and beyond what is contained in the meaning of relation is something else besides that relation, whereas in God there is no distinction, but both are one and the same. And this is not perfectly expressed by the word relation, as if it were comprehended in the ordinary meaning of that term, for it was above explained in treating of the divine names that more is contained in the perfection of the divine essence than can be signified by any name. Hence it does not follow that there exists in God anything beside relation in reality, but only in the various names imposed by us. Reply to Objection 3. If the divine perfection contained only what is signified by relative names, it would follow that it is imperfect, being thus related to something else, as in the same way if nothing more were contained in it than what is signified by the word wisdom, it would not in that case be a subsistence. But as the perfection of the divine essence is greater than can be included in any name, it does not follow if a relative term or any other name applied to God signifies something imperfect that the divine essence is in any way imperfect. For the divine essence comprehends within itself the perfection of every genus. Third article, whether the relations in God are really distinguished from each other. Objection 1. It would seem that the divine relations are not really distinguished from each other. For things which are identified with the same are identified with each other. But every relation in God is really the same as the divine essence. Therefore the relations are not really distinguished from each other. Objection 2. Further, as paternity and filiation are by name distinguished from the divine essence, so likewise are goodness and power. But this kind of distinction does not make any real distinction of the divine goodness and power. Therefore, neither does it make any real distinction of paternity and filiation. And objection 3. Further, in God there is no real distinction but that of origin for one relation does not seem to arise from another. Therefore the relations are not really distinguished from each other. On the contrary, Boethius says that in God the substance contains the unity and relation multiplies the trinity. Therefore, if the relations were not really distinguished from each other, there would be no real trinity in God, but only an ideal trinity, which is the error of Sibelius. I answer that the attributing of anything to another involves the attribution likewise of whatever is contained in it. So when man is attributed to anyone, a rational nature is likewise attributed to him. The idea of relation, however, necessarily means regard of one to another according as one is relatively opposed to another. So as in God there is a real relation, there must also be a real opposition. The very nature of relative opposition includes distinction. Hence there must be 
real distinction in God, not indeed according to that which is absolute, namely essence, wherein there is supreme unity and simplicity, but according to that which is relative. Reply to Objection 1. According to the philosopher, this argument holds that whatever things are identified with the same thing are identified with each other, if the identity be real and logical, as, for instance, a tunic and a garment, but not if they differ logically. Hence, in the same place he says that although action is the same as motion and likewise passion, still it does not follow that action and passion are the same, because action implies reference as of something from which there is motion in the thing moved, whereas passion implies reference as of something which is from another. Likewise, although paternity, just as filiation, is really the same as the divine essence, nevertheless these two, in their own proper idea and definitions, import opposite respects. Hence they are distinguished from each other. Reply to Objection 2. Power and goodness do not import any opposition in their respective natures, and hence there is no parallel argument. And reply to objection 3. Although relations, properly speaking, do not arise or proceed from each other, nevertheless they are considered as opposed according to the procession of one from another. Fourth article, whether in God there are only four real relations, paternity, filiation, spiration, and procession. Objection 1. It would seem that in God there are not only four real relations, paternity, filiation, spiration, and procession, for it must be observed that in God there exists the relations of the intelligent agent to the object understood, and of the one willing to the object willed, which are real relations not comprised under those above specified. Therefore, there are not only four real relations in God. Objection 2. Further, real relations in God are understood as coming from the intelligible procession of the word, but intelligible relations are infinitely multiplied, as Avicenna says. Therefore, in God there exists an infinite series of real relations. Objection 3. Further, ideas in God are eternal and are only distinguished from each other by reason of their regard to things as above stated. Therefore, in God there are many more eternal relations. Objection 4. Further, equality and likeness and identity are relations and they are in God from eternity. Therefore, several more relations are eternal in God than the above named. Objection 5. Further, it may also contrariwise be said that there are fewer relations in God than those above named. For according to the philosopher, it is the same way from Athens to Thebes as from Thebes to Athens. By the same way of reasoning, there is the same relation from the Father to the Son, that of paternity, and from the Son to the Father, that of filiation, and thus there are not four relations in God. I answer that, according to the philosopher, every relation is based either on quantity as double and half, 
or on action and passion as the doer and the deed the father and the son the master and the servant and the like now as there is no quantity in god for he is great without quantity as augustine says it follows that a real relation in god can be based only on action such relations are not based on the actions of god according to any extrinsic procession forasmuch as the relations of god to creatures are not real in him hence it follows that real relations in god can be understood only in regard to those actions according to which there are internal and not external processions in god these processions are two only as above explained one derived from the action of the intellect the procession of the word and the other from the action of the will the procession of love in respect of each of these processions two opposite relations arise one of which is the relation of the person proceeding from the principle the other is the relation of the principle himself the procession of the word is called generation in the proper sense of the term whereby it is applied to living things now the relation of the principle of generation in perfect living beings is called paternity and the relation of the one proceeding from the principle is called filiation but the procession of love has no proper name of its own and so neither have the ensuing relations a proper name of their own the relation of the principle of this procession is called spiration and the relation of the person proceeding is called procession although these two names belong to the processions or origins themselves and not to the relations reply to objection one in those things in which there is a difference between the intellect and its object and the will and its object there can be a real relation both of science to its object and of the willer to the object willed in god however the intellect and its object are one and the same because by understanding himself god understands all other things and the same applies to his will and the object that he wills hence it follows that in god these kinds of relations are not real as neither is the relation of a thing to itself nevertheless the relation to the word is a real relation because the word is understood as proceeding by an intelligible action and not as a thing understood for when we understand a stone that which the intellect conceives from the thing understood is called the word reply to objection two intelligible relations in ourselves are infinitely multiplied because a man understands a stone by one act and by another understands that he understands the stone and again by another understands that he understands this thus the acts of understanding are infinitely multiplied and consequently also the relations understood this does not apply to god inasmuch as he understands all things by one act alone reply to objection three ideal relations exist as understood by god hence it does not follow from their plurality that there are many relations in god but that god knows these many relations reply to objection four equality 
and similitude in God are not real relations, but are only logical relations. And reply to objection 5. The way from one term to another and conversely is the same. Nevertheless, the mutual relations are not the same. Hence, we cannot conclude that the relation of the Father to the Son is the same as that of the Son to the Father. But we could conclude this of something absolute if there were such between them. The end of question 28. Question 29 of Summa Theologica, Pars Prima, Trinity and Creation. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This recording is by Jim Ruddy. Summa Theologica, Pars Prima, Trinity and Creation by St. Thomas Aquinas, translated by the Fathers of the English Dominican Province. Question 29. The Divine Persons. Having premised what have appeared necessary notions concerning the processions and the relations, we must now approach the subject of the persons. First we shall consider the persons absolutely, and then comparatively as regards each other. We must consider the persons absolutely, first in common, and then singly. The general consideration of the persons seemingly involves four points. The signification of this word person, the number of the persons, what is involved in the number of persons or is opposed thereto as diversity and similitude and the like, and what belongs to our knowledge of the persons. Four subjects of inquiry are comprised in the first point. The definition of person, the comparison of person to essence, subsistence, and hypostasis, whether the name of person is becoming to God, and what does it signify in him. First article, the definition of person. Objection 1. It would seem that the definition of person given by Boethius is insufficient. That is, a person is an individual substance of a rational nature, for nothing singular can be subject to definition. But person signifies something singular. Therefore, person is improperly defined. Objection to Further, substance as placed above in the definition of person is either first substance or second substance. If it is the former, the word individual is superfluous, because first substance is individual substance. If it stands for second substance, the word individual is false, for there is contradiction of terms, since second substances are the genera or species. Therefore, this definition is incorrect. Objection 3. Further, an intentional term must not be included in the definition of a thing, for to define a man as a species of animal would not be a correct definition, since man is the name of a thing, and species is the name of an intention. Therefore, since person is the name of a thing, for it signifies a substance of a rational nature, the word individual, which is an intentional name, comes improperly into the definition. 
Objection 4. Further, nature is the principle of motion and rest in those things in which it is essentially and not accidentally, as Aristotle says. But person exists in things immovable, as in God and in the angels. Therefore the word nature ought not to be enter into the definition of person, but the word should rather be essence. And objection 5. Further, the separated soul is an individual substance of the rational nature, but it is not a person. Therefore, person is not properly defined as above. I answer that although the universal and particular exist in every genus, nevertheless, in a certain special way, the individual belongs to the genus of substance. For substance is individualized by itself whereas the accidents are individualized by the subject, which is the substance. Since this particular whiteness is called this, because it exists in this particular subject. And so it is reasonable that the individuals of the genus substance should have a special name of their own, for they are called hypostases, or first substances. Further, still, in a more special and perfect way, the particular and the individual are found in the rational substances which have dominion over their own actions, and which are not only made to act like others, but which can act of themselves, for actions belong to singulars. Therefore also the individuals of the rational nature have a special name even among other substances, and this name is person. Thus the term individual substance is placed in the definition of person as signifying the singular in the genus of substance, and the term rational nature is added as signifying the singular in rational substances. Reply to Objection 1. Although this or that singular may not be definable, yet what belongs to the general idea of singularity can be defined. And so the philosopher gives a definition of first substance, and in this way Boethius defines person. Reply to Objection 2. In the opinion of some, the term substance in the definition of person stands for first substance, which is the hypostasis, nor is the term individual superfluously added. For as much as by the name of hypostasis or first substance, the idea of universality and of part is excluded. For we do not say that man in general is an hypostasis, nor that the hand is, since it is only a part. But where individual is added, the idea of assumptibility is excluded from person. For the human nature in Christ is not a person, since it is assumed by a greater, that is, by the word of God. It is, however, better to say that substance is here taken in a general sense, as divided into first and second, and when individual is added, it is restricted to first substance. Reply to Objection 3. Substantial differences being unknown to us, or at least unnamed by us, it is sometimes necessary to use accidental differences in the place of substantial. As, for example, we may say that fire is a simple, hot, and dry body, for proper accidents are the effects of substantial forms and make them known. 
Likewise, terms expressive of intention can be used in defining realities, if used to signify things which are unnamed. And so the term individual is placed in the definition of person to signify the mode of subsistence which belongs to particular substances. Reply to Objection 4. According to the philosopher, the word nature was first used to signify the generation of living things, which is called nativity. And because this kind of generation comes from an intrinsic principle, this term is extended to signify the intrinsic principle of any kind of movement. In this sense, he defines nature. And since this kind of principle is either formal or material, both matter and form are commonly called nature. And as the essence of anything is completed by the form, so the essence of anything signified by the definition is commonly called nature. And here nature is taken in that sense. Hence Boethius says that nature is the specific difference giving its form to each thing for the specific difference completes the definition and is derived from the special form of a thing so in the definition of person which means the singular in a determined genus it is more correct to use the term nature than essence because the latter is taken from being which is most common reply to objection five the soul is a part of the human species and so although it may exist in a separate state yet since it ever retains its nature of unibility it cannot be called an individual substance which is the hypostasis or first substance as neither can a hand nor any other part of man thus neither the definition nor the name of person belongs to it second article whether person is the same as hypostasis subsistence and essence objection one it would seem that person is the same as hypostasis subsistence and essence for boethius says that the greeks called the individual substance of the rational nature by the name hypostasis but this with us signifies person therefore person is altogether the same as hypostasis objection two further as we say there are three persons in god so we say there are three subsistences in god which implies that person and subsistence have the same meaning therefore person and subsistence mean the same objection three further boethius says that the greek ousia which means essence signifies a being composed of matter and form now that which is composed of matter and form is the individual substance called hypostasis and person therefore all the aforesaid names seem to have the same meaning objection four on the contrary boethius says that genera and species only subsist whereas individuals are not only subsistent but also substand but subsistences are so called from subsisting as substance or hypostasis is so called from substanding 
Therefore, since genera and species are not hypostases or persons, these are not the same as subsistences. And objection 5. Further, Boethius says that matter is called hypostasis and form is called usiosis, that is, subsistence. But neither form nor matter can be called person. Therefore, person differs from the others. I answer that, according to the philosopher, substance is twofold. In one sense, it means the quiddity of a thing signified by its definition. And thus we say that the definition means the substance of a thing, in which sense substance is called by the Greeks, usia, what we may call essence. In another sense, substance means a subject or suppositum which subsists in the genus of substance. To this, taken in a general sense, can be applied a name expressive of an intention, and thus it is called suppositum. It is also called by three names signifying a reality, that is, a thing of nature, subsistence, and hypostasis according to a threefold consideration of the substance thus named. For as it exists in itself and not in another, it is called subsistence, as we say that those things subsist which exist in themselves and not in another. As it underlies some common nature, it is called a thing of nature, as, for instance, this particular man is called a human natural thing. As it underlies the accidents, it is called hypostasis or substance. What these three names signify in common to the whole genus of substances, this name person signifies in the genus of rational substances. Reply to Objection 1. Among the Greeks, the term hypostasis, taken in the strict interpretation of the word, signifies any individual of the genus substance. But in the usual way of speaking, it means the individual of the rational nature, by reason of the excellence of that nature. Reply to Objection 2. As we say three persons plurally in God, and three subsistences, so the Greeks say three hypostases, but because the word substance, which properly speaking corresponds in meaning to hypostasis, is used among us in an equivocal sense, since it sometimes means essence and sometimes means hypostasis, in order to avoid any occasion of error, it was thought preferable to use subsistence for hypostasis rather than substance. Reply to Objection 3. Strictly speaking, the essence is what is expressed by the definition. Now the definition comprises the principles of the species, but not the individual principles. Hence in things composed of matter and form, the essence signifies not only the form, nor only the matter, but what is composed of matter and the common form as the principles of the species. But what is composed of this matter and this form has the nature of hypostasis and person. For soul, flesh, and bone belong to the nature of man, whereas this soul, this flesh, 
and this bone belonged to the nature of this man. Therefore, hypostasis and person add the individual principles to the idea of essence. Nor are these identified with the essence in things composed of matter and form, as we said above when treating of divine simplicity. Reply to Objection 4. Boethius says that genera and species subsist inasmuch as it belongs to some individual things to subsist from the fact that they belong to genera and species comprised in the predicament of substance, but not because the species and genera themselves subsist, except in the opinion of Plato, who asserted that the species of things subsisted separately from singular things. To substand, however, belongs to the same individual things in relation to the accidents which are outside the essence of genera and species. Reply to Objection 5. The individual, composed of matter and form, substands in relation to accident from the very nature of matter. Hence Boethius says, a simple form cannot be a subject. Its self-subsistence is derived from the nature of its form, which does not supervene to the things subsisting, but gives actual existence to the matter, and makes it subsist as an individual. On this account, therefore, he ascribes hypostasis to matter and ousiosis, or subsistence, to the form, because the matter is the principle of substanding, and form is the principle of subsisting. Third article, whether the word person should be said of God. Objection 1. It would seem that the name person should not be said of God. For Dionysius says, No one should ever dare to say or think anything of the supersubstantial and hidden divinity beyond what has been divinely expressed to us by the oracles. But the name person is not expressed to us in the Old or New Testament. Therefore, person is not to be applied to God. Objection 2. Further, Boethius says, the word person seems to be taken from those persons who represented men in comedies and tragedies. For person comes from sounding through, since a greater volume of sound is produced through the cavity in the mask. These persons, or masks, the Greeks called prosopa, as they were placed on the face and covered the features before the eyes. This, however, can apply to God only in a metaphorical sense. Therefore, the word person is only applied to God metaphorically. Objection 3. Further, every person is a hypostasis, but the word hypostasis does not apply to God, since, as Boethius says, it signifies what is the subject of accidents which do not exist in God. Jerome also says that in this word hypostasis, poison lurks in honey. Therefore, the word person should not be said of God. Objection 4. Further, if a definition is denied of anything, the thing defined is also denied of it. But the definition of person, as given above, does not apply to God, 
both because reason implies a discursive knowledge which does not apply to God, as we proved above, and thus God cannot be said to have a rational nature, and also because God cannot be called an individual substance, since the principle of individuation is matter, while God is immaterial. Nor is he the subject of accidents so as to be called a substance. Therefore the word person ought not to be attributed to God. On the contrary, in the creed of Athanasius we say, One is the person of the Father, another of the Son, another of the Holy Ghost. I answer that person signifies what is most perfect in all nature, that is, a subsistent individual of a rational nature. Hence, since everything that is perfect must be attributed to God, forasmuch as his essence contains every perfection, this name person is fittingly applied to God, not, however, as it is applied to creatures, but in a more excellent way, as other names also, which, while giving them to creatures, we attribute to God, as we showed above when treating of the names of God. Reply to Objection 1. Although the word person is not found applied to God in Scripture, either in the Old or New Testament, nevertheless what the word signifies is found to be affirmed of God in many places of Scripture, as that He is the supreme self-subsisting being, and the most perfectly intelligent being. If we could speak of God only in the very terms themselves of Scripture, it would follow that no one could speak about God in any but the original language of the Old or New Testament. The urgency of confuting heretics made it necessary to find new words to express the ancient faith about God. Nor is such a kind of novelty to be shunned, since it is by no means profane, for it does not lead us astray from the sense of Scripture. The Apostle warns us to avoid profane novelties of words. Reply to Objection 2. Although this name person may not belong to God as regards the origin of the term, Nevertheless, it excellently belongs to God in its objective meaning. For as famous men were represented in comedies and tragedies, the name person was given to signify those who held high dignity. Hence those who held high rank in the church came to be called persons. Thence by some the definition of person is given as hypostasis distinct by reason of dignity. And because subsistence in a rational nature is of high dignity, therefore every individual of the rational nature is called a person. Now this dignity of the divine nature excels every other dignity, and thus the name person preeminently belongs to God. Reply to Objection 3. The word hypostasis does not apply to God as regards its source of origin, since he does not underlie accidents, but it applies to him in its objective sense, for it is imposed to signify the subsistence. 
Jerome said that poison lurks in this word, forasmuch as before it was fully understood by the Latins, the heretics used this term to deceive the simple, to make people profess many essences, as they profess several hypostases, inasmuch as the word substance, which corresponds to hypostasis in Greek, is commonly taken amongst us to mean essence. Reply to Objection 4. It may be said that God has a rational nature if reason be taken to mean not discursive thought, but in a general sense, an intelligent nature. But God cannot be called an individual in the sense that his individuality comes from matter, but only in the sense which implies incommunicability substance can be applied to god in the sense of signifying self-subsistence there are some however who say that the definition of boethius quoted above is not a definition of person in the sense we use when speaking of persons in god therefore richard of saint victor amends this definition by adding that person in god is the incommunicable existence of the divine nature. Fourth article, whether this word person signifies relation. Objection 1. It would seem that this word person, as applied to God, does not signify relation, but substance. For Augustine says, when we speak of the person of the Father, we mean nothing else but the substance of the Father, for person is said in regard to himself, and not in regard to the Son. Objection to Further, the interrogation what refers to essence. But as Augustine says, when we say there are three who bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and it is asked three what, the answer is three persons therefore person signifies essence objection three according to the philosopher the meaning of a word is its definition but the definition of person is thus the individual substance of the rational nature as above stated therefore person signifies substance objection four further person in men and angels does not signify relation but something absolute Therefore, if in God it signified relation, it would bear an equivocal meaning in God, in man, and in angels. On the contrary, Boethius says that every word that refers to the persons signifies relation. But no word belongs to person more strictly than the very word person itself. Therefore, this word person signifies relation. I answer that a difficulty arises concerning the meaning of this word person in God from the fact that it is predicated plurally of the three in contrast to the nature of the names belonging to the essence. Nor does it in itself refer to another as do the words which express relation. Hence some have thought that this word person of itself expresses absolutely the divine essence as this name god and this word wise but 
that to meet heretical attack it was ordained by conciliar decree that it was to be taken in a relative sense and especially in the plural or with the addition of a distinguishing adjective as when we say three persons or one is the person of the father another of the son and so forth used however in the singular it may be either absolute or relative but this does not seem to be a satisfactory explanation for if this word person by force of its own signification expresses the divine essence only it follows that for as much as we speak of three persons so far from the heretics being silenced they had still more reason to argue seeing this others maintained that this word person in god signifies both the essence and the relation some of those said that it signifies directly the essence and relation indirectly forasmuch as person means as it were by itself one and unity belongs to the essence and what is by itself implies relation indirectly for the father is understood to exist by himself as relatively distinct from the son others however said on the contrary that it signifies relation directly and essence indirectly forasmuch as in the definition of person the term nature is mentioned indirectly and these came nearer to the truth to determine the question we must consider that something may be included in the meaning of a less common term which is not included in the more common term as rational is included in the meaning of man and not in the meaning of animal so that it is one thing to ask the meaning of the word animal and another to ask its meaning when the animal in question is man also it is one thing to ask the meaning of this word person in general and another to ask the meaning of person as applied to god for person in general signifies the individual substance of a rational figure the individual in itself is undivided but is distinct from others therefore person in any nature signifies what is distinct in that nature thus in human nature it signifies this flesh these bones and this soul which are the individuating principles of a man and which though not belonging to person in general nevertheless do belong to the meaning of a particular human person now distinction in god is only by relation of origin as stated above while relation in god is not as an accident in a subject but is the divine essence itself and so it is subsistent for the divine essence subsists therefore as the godhead is god so the divine paternity is god the father who is a divine person therefore a divine person signifies a relation as subsisting and this is to signify relation by way of substance and such a relation is a hypostasis subsisting in the divine nature although in truth that which subsists in the divine nature is the divine nature itself thus 
it is true to say that the name person signifies relation directly and the essence indirectly not however the relation as such but as expressed by way of a hypostasis so likewise it signifies directly the essence and indirectly the relation inasmuch as the essence is the same as the hypostasis while in god the hypostasis is expressed as distinct by the relation and thus relation as such enters into the notion of the person indirectly thus we can say that this signification of the word person was not clearly perceived before it was attacked by heretics hence this word person was used just as was any other absolute term but afterwards it was applied to express relation as it lent itself to that signification so that this word person means relation not only by use and custom according to the first opinion but also by force of its own proper signification reply to objection one this word person is said in respect to itself not to another for as much as it signifies relation not as such but by way of a substance which is a hypostasis in that sense augustine says that it signifies the essence inasmuch as in god essence is the same as the hypostasis because in god what he is and whereby he is are the same reply to objection to the term what refers sometimes to the nature expressed by the definition as when we ask what is man and we answer a mortal rational animal sometimes it refers to the suppositum as when we ask what swims in the sea and answer a fish so to those who ask three what we answer three persons reply to objection three in god the individual that is distinct and incommunicable substance includes the idea of relation as above explained reply to objection four the different sense of the less common term does not produce equivocation in the more common although a horse and an ass have their own proper definitions nevertheless they agree univocally in animal because the common definition of animal applies to both so it does not follow that although relation is contained in the signification of divine person but not in that of an angelic or of a human person the word person is used in an equivocal sense though neither is it applied univocally since nothing can be said univocally of god and creatures the end of question twenty nine question thirty of summa theologica pars prima trinity and creation this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org this recording is by jim ruddy summa theologica pars prima trinity and creation by saint thomas aquinas translated by the fathers of the english dominican province question thirty 
the plurality of persons in God. We are now led to consider the plurality of the persons, about which there are four points of inquiry, whether there are several persons in God, how many are they, what the numerical terms signify in God, and the community of the term person. First article, whether there are several persons in God. Objection 1. It would seem that there are not several persons in God, for person is the individual substance of a rational nature. If then there are several persons in God, there must be several substances, which appears to be heretical. Objection 2. Further, plurality of absolute properties does not make a distinction of persons either in God or in ourselves. Much less, therefore, is this effected by a plurality of relations. But in God there is no plurality but of relations. Therefore, there cannot be several persons in God. Objection 3. Further, Boethius says of God that this is truly one which has no number, but plurality implies number, therefore there are not several persons in God. And objection 4. Further, where number is, there is whole and part. Thus, if in God there exist a number of persons, there must be whole and part in God, which is inconsistent with the divine simplicity. On the contrary, Athanasius says, One is the person of the Father, another of the Son, another of the Holy Ghost. Therefore, the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost are several persons. I answer that it follows from what precedes that there are several persons in God. For it was shown above that this word person signifies in God a relation as subsisting in the divine nature. It was also established that there are several real relations in God, and hence it follows that there are also several realities subsistent in the divine nature, which means that there are several persons in God. Reply to Objection 1. The definition of person includes substance, not as meaning the essence, but the suppositum, which is made clear by the addition of the term individual. To signify the substance thus understood, the Greeks use the name hypostasis. So as we say three persons, they say three hypostases. We are not, however, accustomed to say three substances, lest we be understood to mean three essences or natures by reason of the equivocal signification of the term. Reply to Objection 2. The absolute properties in God, such as goodness and wisdom, are not mutually opposed, and hence neither are they really distinguished from each other. Therefore, although they subsist, nevertheless they are not several subsistent realities, that is, several persons. But the absolute properties in creatures do not subsist, although they are really distinguished from each other, as whiteness and sweetness. On the other hand, the relative properties in God subsist and are really distinguished from each other, hence the plurality of persons in God. Reply to Objection 3. 
the supreme unity and simplicity of God exclude every kind of plurality of absolute things, but not plurality of relations, because relations are predicated relatively, and thus the relations do not import composition in that of which they are predicated, as Boethius teaches in the same book. Reply to Objection 4 Number is twofold, simple or absolute, as two and three and four, and number as existing in things numbered, as two men and two horses. So, if number in God is taken absolutely or abstractedly, there is nothing to prevent whole and part from being in Him, and thus number in Him is only in our way of understanding, forasmuch as number regarded apart from things numbered exists only in the intellect. But if number be taken as it is in the things numbered, in that sense as existing in creatures, one is part of two, and two of three, as one man is part of two men, and two of three. But this does not apply to God, because the Father is of the same magnitude as the whole Trinity, as we shall show further on. Second article, whether there are more than three persons in God. Objection 1. It would seem that there are more than three persons in God, for the plurality of persons in God arises from the plurality of the relative properties as stated above. But there are four relations in God as stated above, paternity, filiation, common spiration, and procession. Therefore there are four persons in God. Objection to the nature of God does not differ from his will more than from his intellect, but in God one person proceeds from the will as love, and another proceeds from his nature as son, therefore another proceeds from his intellect as word, besides the one who proceeds from his nature as son. Thus again it follows that there are not only three persons in God. Objection 3. Further, the more perfect a creature is, the more interior operations it has, as a man has understanding and will beyond other animals. But God infinitely excels every creature. Therefore in God not only is there a person proceeding from the will and another from the intellect, but also in an infinite number of ways. Therefore there are an infinite number of persons in God. Objection 4. Further, it is from the infinite goodness of the Father that he communicates himself infinitely in the production of a divine person. But also in the Holy Ghost is infinite goodness. Therefore, the Holy Ghost produces a divine person, and that person another, and so to infinity. Objection 5. Further, everything within a determinate number is measured, for number is a measure. But the divine persons are immense, as we say in the creed of Athanasius. The Father is immense, the Son is immense, the Holy Ghost is immense. Therefore the persons are not contained within the number three. On the contrary, it is said, there are three who bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. To those who ask three what, we answer with Augustine, three persons. Therefore there are but three persons in God. I answer that as was explained above, there can be only three persons in God. For it was shown above that the several persons are the several subsisting relations really distinct from each other.
But a real distinction between the divine relations can come only from relative opposition. Therefore, two opposite relations must needs refer to two persons. And if any relations are not opposite, they must needs belong to the same person. Since then paternity and filiation are opposite relations, they belong necessarily to two persons. Therefore, the subsisting paternity is the person of the father, and the subsisting filiation is the person of the son. The other two relations are not opposed to each other. Therefore, these two cannot belong to one person. Hence, either one of them must belong to both of the aforesaid persons, or one must belong to one person and the other to the other. Now, procession cannot belong to the Father and the Son, or to either of them, for thus it would follow that the procession of the intellect, which in God is generation, wherefrom paternity and filiation are derived, would issue from the procession of love, when spiration and procession are derived. If the person generating and the person generated proceeded from the person spirating, and this is against what was laid down above. We must consequently admit that spiration belongs to the person of the Father and to the person of the Son, forasmuch as it has no relative opposition either to paternity or to filiation, and consequently that procession belongs to the other person who is called the person of the Holy Ghost, who proceeds by way of love, as above explained. Therefore, only three persons exist in God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Reply to Objection 1. Although there are four relations in God, one of them, spiration, is not separated from the person of the Father and of the Son, but belongs to both. Thus, although it is a relation, it is not called a property because it does not belong to only one person, nor is it a personal relation that is constituting a person. The three relations, paternity, filiation, and procession, are called personal properties, constituting, as it were, the persons, where paternity is the person of the Father, filiation is the person of the Son, procession is the person of the Holy Ghost proceeding. Reply to Objection 2. That which proceeds by way of intelligence as word proceeds according to similitude, as also that which proceeds by way of nature. Thus, as above explained, the procession of the divine word is the very same as generation by way of nature. But love, as such, does not proceed as the similitude of that whence it proceeds, although in God love is coessential as being divine. And therefore the procession of love is not called generation in God. Reply to Objection 3. As man is more perfect than other animals, he has more intrinsic operations than other animals, because his perfection is something composite. 
Hence the angels, who are more perfect and more simple, have fewer intrinsic operations than man, for they have no imagination or feeling or the like. In God there exists only one real operation, that is, his essence. How there are in him two processions was above explained. Reply to Objection 4. This argument would prove if the Holy Ghost possessed another goodness apart from the goodness of the Father. For then, if the Father produced a divine person by his goodness, the Holy Ghost also would do so. But the Father and the Holy Ghost have one and the same goodness, nor is there any distinction between them except by the personal relations. So goodness belongs to the Holy Ghost as derived from another, and it belongs to the Father as a principle of its communication to another. The opposition of relation does not allow the relation of the Holy Ghost to be joined with the relation of principle of another divine person, because he himself proceeds from the other persons who are in God. Reply to Objection 5. A determinate number, if taken as a simple number existing in the mind only, is measured by one. But when we speak of a number of things as applied to the persons in God, the notion of measure has no place, because the magnitude of the three persons is the same, and the same is not measured by the same. Third article, whether the numerical terms denote anything real in God. Objection 1. It would seem that the numerical terms denote something real in God, for the divine unity is the divine essence. But every number is unity repeated. Therefore every numerical term in God signifies the essence, and therefore it denotes something real in God. Objection 2. Further, whatever is said of God and of creatures belongs to God in a more eminent manner than to creatures. But the numerical terms denote something real in creatures, therefore much more so in God. Objection 3. Further, if the numerical terms do not denote anything real in God and are introduced simply in a negative and removing sense, as plurality is employed to remove unity, and unity to remove plurality, it follows that a vicious circle results, confusing the mind and obscuring the truth, and this ought not to be. Therefore it must be said that the numerical terms denote something real in God. On the contrary, Hilary says, if we admit companionship, that is, plurality, we exclude the idea of oneness and of solitude. And Ambrose says, when we say one God, Unity excludes plurality of gods and does not imply quantity in God. Hence we see that these terms are applied to God in order to remove something and not to denote anything positive. I answer that the Master considers that the numerical terms do not denote anything positive in God, but have only a negative meaning. Others, however, assert the contrary. In order to resolve this point, we may observe that all plurality is a consequence of division. Now division is twofold. One is material and is division of the continuous. 
from this results number which is a species of quantity number in this sense is found only in material things which have quantity the other kind of division is called formal and is effected by opposite or diverse forms and this kind of division results in a multitude which does not belong to a genus but is transcendental in the sense in which being is divided by one and by many this kind of multitude is found only in immaterial things some considering only that multitude which is a species of discrete quantity and seeing that such kind of quantity has no place in god asserted that the numerical terms do not denote anything real in god but remove something from him others considering the same kind of multitude said that as knowledge exists in god according to the strict sense of the word but not in the sense of its genus as in god there is no such thing as equality so number exists in god in the proper sense of number but not in the sense of its genus which is quantity but we say that numerical terms predicated of god are not derived from number a species of quantity for in that sense they could bear only a metaphorical sense in god like other corporeal properties such as length breadth and the like but that they are taken from multitude in a transcendent sense now multitude so understood has relation to the many of which it is predicated as one convertible with being is related to being which kind of oneness does not add anything to being except a negation of division as we saw when treating of the divine unity for one signifies undivided being so of whatever we say one we imply its undivided reality thus for instance one applied to man signifies the undivided nature or substance of a man in the same way when we speak of many things multitude in this latter sense points to those things as being each undivided in itself but number if taken as a species of quantity denotes an accident added to being as also does one which is the principle of that number therefore the numerical terms in god signify the things of which they are said and beyond this they add negation only as stated in which respect the master was right so when we say the essence is one the term one signifies the essence undivided and when we say the person is one it signifies the person undivided and when we say the persons are many we signify those persons and their individual undividedness for it is of the very nature of multitude that it should be composed of units reply to objection one one as it is a transcendental is wider and more general than substance and relation and so likewise is multitude hence in god it may mean both substance and relation according to the context still the very signification of such names adds a negation of division beyond substance and relation as was explained above reply to objection to multitude which denotes something real in creatures is a species of quantity and cannot be used when speaking of god
unlike transcendental multitude which adds only indivision to those of which it is predicated such a kind of multitude is applicable to god reply to objection three one does not exclude multitude but division which logically precedes one or multitude multitude does not remove unity but division from each of the individuals which compose the multitude this was explained when we treated of the divine unity it must be observed nevertheless that the opposite arguments do not sufficiently prove the point advanced although the idea of solitude is excluded by plurality and the plurality of gods by unity it does not follow that these terms express this signification alone for blackness is excluded by whiteness nevertheless the term whiteness does not signify the mere exclusion of blackness fourth article whether this term person can be common to the three persons objection one it would seem that this term person cannot be common to the three persons for nothing is common to the three persons but the essence but this term person does not signify the essence directly therefore it is not common to all three objection two further the common is the opposite to the incommunicable but the very meaning of person is that it is incommunicable as appears from the definition given by richard of saint victor therefore this term person is not common to all the three persons and objection three further if the name person is common to the three it is common either really or logically but it is not so really otherwise the three persons would be one person nor again is it so logically otherwise person would be a universal but in god there is neither universal nor particular neither genus nor species as we have proved above therefore this term person is not common to the three on the contrary augustine says that when we ask three what we say three persons because what a person is is common to them i answer that the very mode of expression itself shows that this term person is common to the three when we say three persons for when we say three men we show that man is common to the three now it is clear that this is not community of a real thing as if one essence were common to the three otherwise there would be only one person of the three as also one essence what is meant by such a community has been variously determined by those who have examined the subject some have called it a community of exclusion forasmuch as the definition of person contains the word incommunicable others thought it to be a community of intention as the definition of person contains the word individual as we say that to be a species is common to horse and ox both of these explanations however are excluded by the fact that person is not a name of exclusion nor of intention but the name of a reality we must therefore resolve that even in human affairs this name person is common by a community of idea not as genus or species but as a vague individual thing the names of genera and species as man or animal are given to signify the common natures themselves but 
not the intentions of those common natures signified by the terms genus or species the vague individual thing as some man signifies the common nature with the determinate mode of existence of singular things that is something self-subsisting as distinct from others but the name of a designated singular thing signifies that which distinguishes the determinate thing as the name socrates signifies this flesh and this bone but there is this difference that the term some man signifies the nature or the individual on the part of its nature with the mode of existence of singular things while this name person is not given to signify the individual on the part of the nature but the subsistent reality in that nature now this is common in idea to the divine persons that each of them subsists distinctly from the others in the divine nature thus this name person is common in idea to the three divine persons reply to objection one this argument is founded on a real community reply to objection two although person is incommunicable yet the mode itself of incommunicable existence can be common to many and reply to objection three although this community is logical and not real yet it does not follow that in god there is universal or particular or genus or species both because neither in human affairs is the community of person the same as community of genus or species and because the divine persons have one being whereas genus and species and every other universal are predicated of many which differ in being the end of question thirty question thirty one of summa theologica pars prima trinity and creation this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org this recording is by jim ruddy summa theologica pars prima trinity and creation by saint thomas aquinas translated by the fathers of the english dominican province question thirty one of what belongs to the unity or plurality in god we now consider what belongs to the unity or plurality in god which gives rise to four points of inquiry concerning the word trinity whether we can say that the son is other than the father whether an exclusive term which seems to exclude otherness can be joined to an essential name in god and whether it can be joined to a personal term first article whether there is trinity in god objection one it would seem that there is not trinity in god for every name in god signifies substance or relation but this name trinity does not signify the substance otherwise it would be predicated of each one of the persons nor does it signify relation for it does not express a name that refers to another therefore the word trinity is not to be applied to god objection to further this word trinity is a collective term since it signifies multitude but such a word does not apply to god as the unity of a collective name is the least of unities whereas in god there exists the greatest possible unity therefore this word trinity does not apply to god 
Objection 3. Further, every trine is threefold, but in God there is not triplicity, since triplicity is a kind of inequality. Therefore, neither is there trinity in God. Objection 4. Further, all that exists in God exists in the unity of the divine essence, because God is his own essence. Therefore, if trinity exists in God, it exists in the unity of the divine essence. And thus, in God there would be three essential unities, which is heresy. And objection 5. Further, in all that is said of God, the concrete is predicated of the abstract. For deity is God, and paternity is the Father. But the Trinity cannot be called trine, otherwise there would be nine realities in God, which of course is erroneous. Therefore the word Trinity is not to be applied of God. On the contrary, Athanasius says, unity in Trinity and Trinity in unity is to be revered. I answer that the name Trinity in God signifies the determinate number of persons. And so the plurality of persons in God requires that we should use the word Trinity because what is indeterminately signified by plurality is signified by Trinity in a determinate manner. Reply to Objection 1. In its etymological sense, this word Trinity seems to signify the one essence of the three persons according as Trinity may mean trine unity. But in the strict meaning of the term, it rather signifies the number of persons of one essence. And on this account, we cannot say that the Father is the Trinity, as he is not three persons. Yet it does not mean the relations themselves of the persons, but rather the number of persons related to each other. And hence it is that the word in itself does not express regard to another. Reply to objection two two things are implied in a collective term plurality of the supposita and a unity of some kind of order for people is a multitude of men comprehended under a certain order in the first sense this word trinity is like other collective words but in the second sense it differs from them because in the divine trinity not only is there unity of order but also with this there is unity of essence Reply to objection 3. Trinity is taken in an absolute sense, for it signifies the threefold number of persons. Triplicity signifies a proportion of inequality, for it is a species of unequal proportion, according to Boethius. Therefore, in God there is not triplicity, but trinity. Reply to objection 4. In the divine trinity is to be understood both number and the persons numbered. So when we say trinity in unity, we do not place number in the unity of the essence as if we meant three times one, but we place the persons numbered in the unity of nature as the supposita of a nature are said to exist in that nature. On the other hand, we say unity in trinity, meaning that the nature is in its supposita. Reply to objection 5. When we say trinity is trine by reason of the number implied, we signify the multiplication of that number by itself, since the word trine imports a distinction in the supposita of which it is spoken. Therefore it cannot be said that the trinity is trine, otherwise it follows that 
if the Trinity be trine, there would be three supposita of the Trinity. As when we say God is trine, it follows that there are three supposita of the Godhead. Second article, whether the Son is other than the Father. Objection 1. It would seem that the Son is not other than the Father. For other is a relative term implying diversity of substance. If then the Son is other than the Father, he must be different from the Father, which is contrary to what Augustine says, that when we speak of three persons, we do not mean to imply diversity. Objection to further, whosoever are other from one another, differ in some way from one another. Therefore, if the Son is other than the Father, it follows that he differs from the Father, which is against what Ambrose says, that the Father and the Son are one in Godhead nor is there any difference in substance between them, nor any diversity. Objection 3. Further, the term alien is taken from alius. But the Son is not alien from the Father, for Hilary says that in the divine persons there is nothing diverse, nothing alien, nothing separable. Therefore the Son is not other than the Father. Objection 4. Further, the terms other person and other thing have the same meaning, differing only in gender. So, if the Son is another person from the Father, it follows that the Son is a thing apart from the Father. On the contrary, Augustine says, there is one essence of the Father and Son and Holy Ghost, in which the Father is not one thing, the Son another, and the Holy Ghost another. Although the Father is one person, the Son another, and the Holy Ghost another. I answer that since, as Jerome marks, a heresy arises from words wrongly used, when we speak of the Trinity, we must proceed with care and with befitting modesty. Because, as Augustine says, nowhere is error more harmful, the quest more toilsome, the finding more fruitful. Now, in treating of the Trinity, we must beware of two opposite errors, and proceed cautiously between them. Namely, the error of Arius, who placed a trinity of substance with the trinity of persons, and the error of Sabellius, who placed unity of person with the unity of essence. Thus, to avoid the error of Arius, we must shun the use of the terms diversity and difference in God, lest we take away the unity of essence, we may, however, use the term distinction on account of the relative opposition. Hence, whenever we find terms of diversity or difference of persons used in an authentic work, these terms of diversity or difference are taken to mean distinction. But lest the simplicity and singleness of the divine essence be taken away, the terms separation and division, which belong to the parts of a whole, are to be avoided and lest quality be taken away, we avoid the use of the term disparity. Unless we remove similitude, we avoid the terms alien and discrepant. For Ambrose says that in the Father and the Son there is no discrepancy but one Godhead. And according to Hilary, as quoted above, in God there is nothing alien, nothing separable. To avoid the heresy of Sibelius, we must shun the term singularity, lest we take away the communicability of the divine essence. Hence Hilary says, it is sacrilege to assert that the Father and the Son are separate in Godhead. 
we must avoid the adjective only lest we take away the number of persons hence hilary says in the same book we exclude from god the idea of singularity or uniqueness nevertheless we say the only son for in god there is no plurality of sons yet we do not say the only god for the deity is common to several we avoid the word confused lest we take away from the persons the order of their nature hence ambrose says what is one is not confused and there is no multiplicity where there is no difference the word solitary is also to be avoided lest we take away the society of the three persons whereas hilary says we confess neither a solitary nor a diverse god this word other however in the masculine sense means only a distinction of suppositum and hence we can properly say that the son is other than the father because he is another suppositum of the divine nature as he is another person and another hypostasis reply to objection one other being like the name of a particular thing refers to the suppositum and so there is sufficient reason for using it where there is a distinct substance in the sense of hypostasis or person but diversity requires a distinct substance in the sense of essence thus we cannot say that the son is diverse from the father although he is another reply to objection two difference implies distinction of form there is one form in god as appears from the text who as he was in the form of god therefore the term difference does not properly apply to god as appears from the authority quoted yet damascene employs the term difference in the divine persons as meaning that the relative property is signified by way of form hence he says that the hypostases do not differ from each other in substance but according to determinate properties but difference is taken for distinction as above stated reply to objection three the term alien means what is extraneous and dissimilar which is not expressed by the term other and therefore we say that the son is other than the father but not that he is anything alien reply to objection four the neuter gender is formless whereas the masculine is formed and distinct and so is the feminine so the common essence is properly and aptly expressed by the neuter gender but by the masculine and feminine is expressed the determined subject in the common nature hence also in human affairs if we ask who is this man we answer socrates which is the name of the suppositum whereas if we ask who is he what is he we reply a rational and mortal animal so because in god distinction is by the persons and not by the essence we say that the father is other than the son but not something else while conversely we say that they are one thing but not one person third article whether the exclusive word alone should be added to the essential term in god objection one it would seem that the exclusive word alone is not to be added to an essential term in god for according to the philosopher he is alone who is not with another but god is with the angels and the souls of the saints therefore we cannot say that god is alone 
Objection 2. Further, whatever is joined to the essential term in God can be predicated of every person per se, and of all the persons together. For as we can properly say that God is wise, we can say the Father is a wise God, and the Trinity is a wise God. But Augustine says we must consider the opinion that the Father is not true God alone. Therefore God cannot be said to be alone. And objection 3. Further, if this expression alone is joined to an essential term, it would be so joined as regards either the personal predicate or the essential predicate. But it cannot be the former, as it is false to say, God alone is Father, since man also is Father. Nor again can it be applied as regards the latter, for if this saying were true, God alone creates, it would follow that the Father alone creates, as whatever is said of God can be said of the Father. And it would be false, as the Son also creates. Therefore this expression alone cannot be joined to an essential term in God. On the contrary, it is said, To the King of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God. I answer that this term alone can be taken as a categorimatical term or as a syncategorimatical term. A categorimatical term is one which ascribes absolutely its meaning to a given suppositum, as for instance white to man, as when we say a white man. If the term alone is taken in this sense, it cannot in any way be joined to any term in God, for it would mean solitude in the term to which it is joined, and it would follow that God was solitary against what is above stated. A syncategorimatical term imports the order of the predicate to the subject, as this expression, every one or no one, and likewise the term alone, as excluding every other suppositum from the predicate. Thus, when we say Socrates alone writes, we do not mean that Socrates is solitary, but that he has no companion in writing, though many others may be with him. In this way, nothing prevents the term alone being joined to any essential term in God, as excluding the predicate from all things but God, as we, if we said God alone is eternal, because nothing but God is eternal. Reply to Objection 1. Although the angels and the souls of the saints are always with God, nevertheless, if plurality of persons did not exist in God, he would be alone or solitary. For solitude is not removed by association with anything that is extraneous in nature. Thus, anyone is said to be alone in a garden, though many plants and animals are with him in the garden. Likewise, God would be alone or solitary, though angels and men were with him, supposing that several persons were not within him. Therefore, the society of angels and of souls does not take away absolute solitude from God, much less does it remove respective solitude in reference to a predicate. Reply to Objection 2. This expression alone, properly speaking, does not affect the predicate, which is taken formally, for it refers to the suppositum, as excluding any other suppositum from the one which it qualifies. But the adverb only, being exclusive, can be applied either to subject or predicate. For we can say only Socrates, that is, no one else, runs. And Socrates runs only, that is, he does nothing else. Hence, it is not properly said that the Father is God alone, or the Trinity is God alone, 
unless some implied meaning be assumed in the predicate, as, for instance, the Trinity is God, who alone is God. In that sense, it can be true to say that the Father is that God, who alone is God, if the relative be referred to the predicate and not to the suppositum. So, when Augustine says that the Father is not God alone, but that the Trinity is God alone, he speaks expositively, as he might explain the words, to the King of ages, invisible, the only God, as applying not to the Father, but to the Trinity alone. Reply to Objection 3. In both ways can the term alone be joined to an essential term. For this proposition, God alone is Father, can mean two things, because the word Father can signify the person of the Father, and then it is true, for no man is that person, or it can signify that relation only, and thus it is false, because the relation of paternity is found also in others, though not in a univocal sense. Likewise, it is true to say God alone creates, nor does it follow Therefore the Father alone creates, because, as logicians say, an exclusive diction so fixes the term to which it is joined that what is said exclusively of that term cannot be said exclusively of an individual contained in that term. For instance, from the premise, man alone is a mortal rational animal, we cannot conclude, therefore, Socrates alone is such. Fourth article, whether an exclusive diction can be joined to the personal term. Objection 1. It would seem that an exclusive diction can be joined to the personal term, even though the predicate is common. For our Lord, speaking to the Father, said, That they may know thee, the only true God. Therefore the Father alone is true God. Objection 2. Further, he said, No one knows the Son but the Father, which means that the Father alone knows the Son, but to know the Son is common to the persons. Therefore, the same conclusion follows. Objection 3. Further, an exclusive diction does not exclude what enters into the concept of the term to which it is joined, since it does not exclude the part nor the universal, for it does not follow that if we say Socrates alone is white, that therefore his hand is not white, or that man is not white. But one person is in the concept of another, as the Father is in the concept of the Son, and conversely. Therefore, when we say the Father alone is God, we do not exclude the Son nor the Holy Ghost, so that such a mode of speaking is true. And objection 4. Further, the church sings, Thou alone art most high, O Jesus Christ. On the contrary, this proposition, the Father alone is God, includes two assertions, namely, that the Father is God, and that no other besides the Father is God. But the second proposition is false, for the Son is another from the Father, and He is God. Therefore this is false, the Father alone is God, and the same of the like sayings. I answer that when we say the Father alone is God, such a proposition can be taken in several senses. If alone means solitude, in the Father, it is false in a categorical sense. But if taken in a syncategorical sense, it can again be understood in several ways. For if it excludes all others from the form of the subject, it is true, the sense being the Father alone is God, that is, he who with no other 
is the Father, is God. In this way Augustine expounds when he says, We say the Father alone, not because he is separate from the Son or from the Holy Ghost, but because they are not the Father together with him. This, however, is not the usual way of speaking, unless we understand another implication, as though we said, He who alone is called the Father is God. But in this strict sense, the exclusion affects the predicate, and thus the proposition is false if it excludes another in the masculine sense, but true if it excludes it in the neuter sense, because the Son is another person than the Father, but not another thing. And the same applies to the Holy Ghost. But because this diction alone, properly speaking, refers to the subject, it tends to exclude another person rather than other things. Hence such a way of speaking is not to be taken too literally, but it should be piously expounded whenever we find it in an authentic work. Reply to Objection 1. When we say, The, the only true God, we do not understand it as referring to the person of the Father, but to the whole Trinity, as Augustine expounds. Or, if we understood of the person of the Father, the other persons are not excluded by reason of the unity of essence, insofar as the word only excludes another thing, as above explained. The same reply can be given to objection too, for an essential term applied to the Father does not exclude the Son or the Holy Ghost by reason of the unity of essence. Hence we must understand that in the text quoted the term no one, is not the same as no man, which the word itself would seem to signify, for the person of the Father could not be ex accepted. But it is taken according to the usual way of speaking in a distributive sense to mean any rational nature. Reply to Objection 3. The exclusive diction does not exclude what enters into the concept of the term to which it is adjoined, if they do not differ in suppositum as part and universal. But the Son differs in suppositum from the Father, and so there is no parity. And reply to objection 4. We do not say absolutely that the Son alone is most high, but that He alone is most high, with the Holy Ghost, in the glory of God the Father. The end of question 31.